Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks very much. It's uh, certainly a, uh, a privilege and an honor to be here today. It's one of those things where um, I've served in the Dominican, as, as we talked about, uh, as Pastor Garth introduced me, in Costa Rica and all over the Caribbean, across the United States, and people inevitably ask me, oh, you preach in your church as well? No. <laughs> I just leave the country and use a passport anytime I'm going to do that. So it's, it's, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to, uh, to be able, in my, in my home church here, uh, uh, to share the gospel today. I've been coming to the gathering since uh, 2016. Um, didn't didn't make the uh, uh, didn't make the golf course, but spent a good amount of time at the uh, at the warehouse. So, uh, and now in our new home, it's certainly been a pleasure. I'm usually the one back there. Um, that's the seat uh, I, I prefer. So, um, it's nice to be somewhere else today. Uh, I started coming to the gathering. We talked about this uh, uh, for those of you that, that have had the the, uh, the privilege of of learning with and worshiping with over the last little while. Um, part of the reason I. I came to the gathering was, was the responsible way that, that the gospel is handled here. Um, it's, it's, it's Bible-focused, and it's, uh, uh, it's certainly refreshing to see somebody that says, look, here it is, and it's going to hurt sometimes. And here it is, and it's going to convict often. And you're here to learn from the gospel, not to pat yourselves on the back. We'll have time for that, birthday parties and things like that. We can celebrate the great things that we do. But the rest of the time, we're going to look at the book and say, how can I do more? How can I be better? And so that's, uh, that's a little bit what we're going to do, uh, a little bit what we're going to do today. I hope to continue some of the work that we've, uh, uh, we've done already in our Church on Fire series uh, of Acts. We're going to jump into Acts 9, as Pastor Garth said, and we'll, uh, um, we'll go forward um, in verse 19. So just, just for a split second, we'll go back into what we read last week, uh, verse 1 through 19. We've got, uh, we've got Saul, later Paul, but we don't know that yet, um, on his way to Damascus. Uh, struck blind, confronted by Christ, um, ultimately uh, converted, and we heard about the uh, this obscure ministry of Ananias, who who was called by God to uh, uh, to go to Saul. We have uh, uh, this dramatic lightning bolt sort of experience. Uh, not all of us, few of us have that lightning bolt experience, but we all have that personal experience with Christ, whether it's uh, um, uh, something within our family, whether it's something within our work, whether it's something personal to us, that's an experience that we share one-on-one. And it's very, uh, uh, it's interesting that, that we do hear this, this inkling, this Ananias, and, and, and Pastor Garth talked about it last week, this gentleman we hear about once and never again, and now we're going to jump into verse 19 where we start to hear more things about, uh, um, uh, about the people that are helping Uh, to grow the ministry of Saul. So at the start of this passage, uh, this week's passage, verses 19 through 22, we now see this transformed believer. And we are looking at somebody that the verses tell us he's ambitious and he's fearless. The words they say is he immediately starts preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. Synagogues weren't a Sabbath thing. Church wasn't a Sunday thing. This was daily. This is a committed believer. This is uh, somebody who's jumping into these churches, talking with the elders in the churches, the teachers in the churches, in the synagogues, and confronting them. We're talking about somebody who's effective. Verse tells us they were amazed. 
This is someone who is reviled. So the Jews are coming after him. They're plotting to kill him. Not silence him, but kill him over what he is saying. Saul's ministry at that point um, was a model of what a lot of us uh, took part in when we first uh, came to Christ. We were active and vibrant. What else can I do? What more can I do? Where can I go? Where can I serve? Who wants to hear more? Let me get involved. Let me join this ministry and that ministry. And that's the model of what we're seeing here from Saul. Let me do, let me do, let me be, let me do, let me get involved. It's very tempting when we, when we, hear, about, um, when we hear about Saul uh, and we read all through Acts to say, look at what Saul did. Look at what Saul did. Look at who Saul is. Saul did this. Saul did that. Later, Paul did this. Paul did that. Look at Paul. Look at Paul. Paul's amazing. It's very tempting to make Acts about Paul. Acts is very much about what Christian believers can do together. And we want to take just a few verses here today, 22 verses, 21 and a half, and take a look at what believers can do for each other. We use the term discipleship, disciple making, and that's what we're going to get into in a little bit. Uh, some of you know I was, uh, some of you who I've had the opportunity to speak to know I was saved actually on a mission trip. It was a baseball mission trip. Uh, I want to hear the gospel. I want to hear it told by uh, somebody that really didn't care about me. I had a lot of friends around me telling me things didn't sound right. So let me go find some people that don't really care. And they're just going to hit me with the, hit me with the truth. Similar thing, convicted, gave my life to the Lord, and immediately said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, this will be good, I can do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to... And everybody stopped me. These men that are now integral to my faith walk have been amazing shepherds, said to me, the first thing you need to do is not join a ministry. The first thing you need to do is find believers and get with them on a regular basis. There's nothing that you have done or could do by yourself that won't be multiplied greater by surrounding yourself with Bible-believing Christians. The church is more important than you. So that's what we're going to see here uh, uh, as, as Saul goes forward. So um, last week we talked about parents, specifically about mothers. It was Mother's Day weekend. Um, so it was great to hear how, uh, how we look at what Saul's experience up to that point had to do with outreach. Uh, this week we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, what the Christians in, Jer- in Damascus and then in Jerusalem did for Saul and how we can, uh, how we can experience uh, growth in ministry, support in personal ministry, and we can, uh, uh, we can advance our fellow Christians. So, uh, as Christians in our church, we do have a responsibility to new believers. Those responsibilities are going to fall into uh, a number of categories, practically, uh, spiritually, and we're going to talk about uh, the fact that we're going to protect them, we're going to present them, we're going to provide for them, we're going to preserve them. So in uh, Acts 9, verse 23, uh, take your Bibles again. Uh, uh, if you could turn to verse 23 in Acts 9. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. I've never been in a basket. 
the closest I, I can, I can the, the only basket story I, I can suggest is um, I have a, a, my mother's house actually has a laundry chute, one of the old laundry chutes, and I have a younger brother. He has been in a basket. <laughs> it wasn't for safety as it was for Saul, but my brother has been in a basket. Um, Saul was put in this basket for safety. He was lowered through an opening in the city walls. The believers have done that to keep him from harm. This is that protection we're talking about. So in order to keep Paul from harm, it wasn't verbal. It wasn't a case of supporting him spiritually. I'll pray for you. Oh no, let's gossip about it or talk about it. It was a case of what's the activity? How do we do this in real life? We're going to protect him. How do we protect each other, our fellow believers, these new growing believers in our church, the Christians in our church. What are the ways that we can protect them? How do we keep them from harm and spiritual growth? If we follow the example of the believers in Damascus, we do it by helping each other bypass danger. In Luke we read, if anybody wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. What does that cross look like for you or for other believers? How do we help them out? We just prayed for those that may have health concerns. How can we help those families? We talk about those that are having issues with their jobs or in their families, whether it's financial issues or whether it's political issues with their work. How do we help them? What does the cross look like for each one of the new growing believers in the church, and how can we help them carry it? That's our job, to protect them from those, from those evils, from those harms. For Saul, the persecution was physical harm. Usually not the case for us now. But the role doesn't change. The believers protected him. The second thing that happened in verse 26, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles, and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus, and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So we get a situation where somebody with a reputation is claiming to be a Christian, inserting himself into a Christian setting, and they don't believe him. They have absolutely... uh, 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 no reason to believe that this person that has persecuted him, and we, we, we've read it, would be in their midst in a positive way. How could this possibly be true? This is still the same guy. It's still Saul. Remember, we don't know he's going to be Paul yet. So here's this man coming in and saying, let me, let me not, not just be a part of you, let me lead you. Let me be a leader in the church. And they don't believe him. So what happens? Barnabas actually advocates. Barnabas goes in and says, hang on a minute, I'm one of you, and I'm going to vouch for him. I'm going to stand up for him. I'm going to present him to you. This isn't a case of us believing Saul for Saul's sake. This is a case of you believe me, believe him. Um, Second Corinthians tells us, anybody who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. New life has begun. Human nature says, once bitten, twice shy. I saw what you did, you're not going to do it to me. I see the things 
that you do, and I don't want to be a part of it. That changes with the acceptance of Christ. So our job as Christians, how do, how do, we, how do we follow that example of Barnabas? In this case, again, another Christian supporting our fellow believers who advocated for him. They said, we do not believe. It took Barnabas, we we learned a little in in Acts 4, to actually advocate. That's our job, advocate. You know somebody that wants to be involved in church? Advocate for them. Introduce them to people. Represent them to people. Be the person that presents fellow believers. Church can be an intimidating place. Many of us have have tiptoed rather than run into our faith. Be the one that walks with somebody. Present them. Bring them with them. Bring them into the fellowship rather than inviting them in. It's a walk that we can do together. And that's our responsibility. The words that are important, he brought him. He told them. These are active words. Be the one who presents for fellow believers. Third thing, verse 28. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, pardon me, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Very, very, very tempting to emphasize he preached boldly. He preached boldly. This verse is about his bold preaching. Verse is also about the fact that he stayed with the apostles. The apostles provided for him. They saw the need and they provided. These are the same people that said, we're not sure about this guy. But they said, no, no, no. We're going to provide for him. Growing, maturing, and undiscipled Christians have needs. We just talked about some of them. Some of the needs are physical, emotional, spiritual. And believers knowing those needs, becoming aware of those needs, have a responsibility to help meet those needs. We're not talking about charity. We're not talking about uh, completely altruistic uh, 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 service for the sake of service. We're talking about support of fellow believers. It may take many forms. It could be prayer, service to or for them. But in most cases, it's just presence. Letting them know that you're there as a fellow believer on behalf of Christ. The believers in Jerusalem took care of Saul. He stayed with them. So he was housed. He was fed. He was looked after. His needs were met. How do we meet those needs? Provide. Provide for the believers among you as they need that support. Finally, Acts, 29, 30, or Acts 9, 29, 31, he debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, also grew in numbers. In order to grow faith, believers have to be encouraged. There's got to be an, the other side. There's got to be what's the, what's, the, what's the encouragement for? 
There's got to be somebody beside them saying, let's do it together. Not somebody at afar saying, go do it. Come to me. No, let's go together. And this is our job as believers. The believers in Jerusalem facilitated the advancement of Saul's ministry. Later, Paul's ministry. They kept him secure in his walk through protection and progress. And for his safety and to ensure his ministry, they took him and sent him. Again, we're talking about action. We're not talking about lip service. We're not talking about best wishes, thoughts and prayers. We're talking about physically going, doing, acting. And this is our obligation. This is our hope for believers among us. The gospel spreads as it reaches more ears and new opportunities for spiritual growth develop as new opportunities for evangelism emerge. It's one of those things where we say, we don't know what we don't know. And as the Spirit grows, and as the group of believers grows, we have an opportunity to reach people unthought of. As believers, our commission involves action. And in Mark, Jesus, of course, told us, go into all the world and proclaim In Matthew, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's action. It's going. It's it's an obligation for us to be active. So how do we promote growth and development to one another? How can we inspire and support each other? As a church, as this church, the answer is championed and celebrated and displayed. To love and grow and serve and multiply. Make it simple for you. The cheat sheet's there. In a word, our, our goal is to encourage. To initiate the conversation. To show them that it's okay to be social with the gospel. It's not a Sunday 10 to 11 thing. This is an everyday, all day, life affirming practice and identity. And this is your job as a believer, to bring along another believer. The believers preserved him. What we're seeing in the believers uh, uh, in, in Damascus and Jerusalem is, is, is discipleship. And we use that term when we talk about two people intentionally walking together for a spiritual goal. If you're not familiar with that term, in trade... Uh, in trade and, and, and in, educa- in education, they call it an internship. In the trades, they call it an apprenticeship. In your spiritual life, it's discipleship. It's somebody feeding into somebody else with an intentional purpose. It's not simply fellowship where we're going to get together and be Christians. This is discipleship, and it's an intentional walk together for the purpose of advancement of our faith, And with the intent that that person is then going to disciple someone themselves. That's that multiply part. It doesn't end. It's not just about coffee. It's a shame. It's about expanding. It's about continuing to expand. And it's about... uh, Uh, A chain. It's about building this chain. There's a concept that's used in science and in sports and in arts. And they talk about standing on the shoulders of giants. 
I don't have to do all the work myself and attain the heights myself because somebody else is going to let me stand on their shoulders and now I'm higher than I was before. Now I can be bigger. I don't have to start at square one. That's the idea of standing on the shoulder of giants and that's what discipleship's about. Here's somebody who's done it and they're going to tell me everything they've done and then together we're going to go even further. And then I'm going to find somebody and we're going to go even further and he's going to surpass me. And then somebody's going to surpass that guy. Until eventually you just run out of stage. The illustration that I like to talk about uh, when it comes to this, two illustrations really. Um, The first is, this is something that you hear a lot, and you see a lot with parents who say, I want to leave my children better off than I was. I don't want my child to have to go through what I went through. I want to make things better for my child, my son, my daughter, my children. The other place we see it a lot is in the coaching world, in athletics. It took me, what, all of 20 minutes to get here, but we're going to talk about sports for a split second. There's a guy by the name of Sid Gilman who probably none of you have ever heard of. That's okay. Sid Gilman was a football coach. He coached at Ohio State and Miami of Ohio. He also coached in the NFL with the Rams and the Oilers and the Bengals and a bunch of other unsuccessful teams in the early 60s. Sid Gilman uh, decided very early on that as a coach, he was going to uh, spend more time worrying about the people that he coached than worrying about the game that he coached. So he was going to revolutionize the way things are done because it was going to benefit people. Ah, the wins will come if I take care of the people. As long as I teach the people the right way to play the game and we grow together in our knowledge of football, the wins will come. The wins did not come. Uh, Sid Gilman has a career record of 123 and 101. That's his career record. It's not great. It's not even good. But Sid Gilman has a special claim to fame. There have been uh, 26 uh, Super Bowls of the 52 Super Bowls that were won by coaches who are part of Sid Gilman's tree. And what a tree is, is the people that worked for Sid Gilman, people then worked for them, And then people worked for them, and people worked for them. So the things that Sid Gilman did were passed down from coach to coach to coach to coach to coach. So now we're at a point where in the NFL today, 13 of the coaches can trace back to Sid Gilman. A guy we've never heard of. A guy nobody could pick out of a lineup. But has made such an impact on the sport that everybody can be traced back to him. Sid Gilman was the first person to say, you know, I think it's more important that people are fundamentally strong than positional strong. First coach ever to say, I think we need a strength strength coach on our team. First guy. First guy to ever say, I think maybe the problem is we have too many penalties. So we're going to coach penalties out of our team. 1963, his team had a grand total of 10 penalties called all year. These are the things that he taught. He also taught that we're going to have to change based on what we face. If the team comes out and they do something unexpected, we've got to change. Up until then, the football world and the coaching world and everybody else said, I just need to do what I do better, try harder, and I'll be successful. He said, no, I've got to change. You need to change when you face adversity. You need to find a new way to overcome It's people like Sid Gilman 
that allowed people to stand on their shoulders and extend far beyond where they could ever have imagined. Just to finish off that illustration, some of these names you may know. Chuck Knoll, Joe Gibbs, Dick Vermeil, Bill Walsh, Mike Shanahan, uh, John Madden, Tony Junji, uh, all of the Bowdens, Marv Levy, Mike Tomlin, and Bill Belichick. All in that tree. Those are some of the biggest names in coaching ever. All Hall of Famers. All came from Sid Gilman. Now, lest you think I was going to stay in the sports world, uh, I'll give you one more illustration uh, that's probably a little more apropos for this morning. Just across the river in Detroit, many, many, many moons ago, uh, there was a man uh, named Edward Kimball. Some of you may be familiar with Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a a Sunday school teacher at a church, um, enjoyed his position, liked working with kids, and liked working especially with youth. And there was a 17-year-old in his uh, Sunday school class that he thought, you know, he just doesn't get it, but I think if he applied himself. So he, back to our words here, went to, didn't wait for Sunday, went to and met with a 17-year-old boy and said, I really think you need to apply yourself. I really think, you know, I prayed and God's got something special for you. So that 17-year-old student, Dwight Moody, many of you know as D.L. Moody, um, said, okay, let's try this. Uh, we all know, he, or hopefully you know, he became uh, a famous, successful, super-involved uh, theologian, founder of uh, Moody Bible Institute, and on a trip to the UK to evangelize, uh, he met a young man named F.B. Meyer. And F.B. Meyer said, I like the way things are being done in the States. It's so different than what's happening here. Uh, I want to come back to America with you. So he said, okay, you can come back and we can do some some revivals. We can have some fun together. So he speaks and a guy named J. Wilbur Chapman hears him and says, I like the way this guy speaks. He speaks differently, not just the accent, but the things he was saying were a little different. I want to do that. I want to do it the way he does it. So he applies himself and he recruits a baseball player named Billy Sunday to work with his ministry. He says, I think if we did this together, I think we'd be okay. I think the two of us would be successful. So he says, okay, I'm going to work with him, and the two of us are going to work together. Billy Sunday goes off, and Billy Sunday meets a guy named Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham says, let's do something together. Let's the two of us team up And we're going to do some revivals. We're going to do some evangelism together. Mordecai Ham goes off and says, I need to pray on this because we're not seeing what we hoped for. We're not seeing this revival. We're not seeing this new Pentecost. And so he prays and prays and prays. And at a Sunday event, a young man comes forward, gives his heart to Christ. The man's name is Billy Graham. Edward Kimball goes into a store to talk to a 17-year-old. 2.2 billion people hear the gospel. That's standing on the shoulders of giants. That's being what you can in love, in growth, in service to multiply. That's what this is about. That's what we're talking about in this chapter. When we accept this position in God's family, when we follow the Spirit, we become Christians, part of that discipleship chain, we have an obligation to other Christians 
to love, grow, serve, and multiply. What I want to do to to close off today is I want to challenge you personally. And the challenge is going to be real simple on this holiday weekend, whether you're honoring the queen or celebrating the royal wedding or worshiping the king of kings. Find somebody. Have the conversation. Maybe it's a conversation saying, I want to help you. I want to protect you. I want to preserve you. Maybe it's a conversation saying, I need that protection. I need that preservation. Find somebody and start a discipleship relationship, please. Not for me. Not for Pastor Garth or Pastor Phil. For yourself, for the kingdom. These relationships foster belief. They encourage development. And they're essential to not just our church family, but our faith family. As we, uh, as we leave, hopefully uh, uh, you're in a position to, to start one of these relationships. You can get together with somebody um, uh, in a giving way, in a receiving way, and you're going to have your mindset to be a part of the chain. Not the end of the chain, but a part of the chain. The second you are encouraged, find somebody else. I've got a friend who likes to say, all I need to be in a, disciples, in a discipling position is one week behind the guy discipling me. It doesn't take special curriculum. It doesn't take years of practice. One week behind the guy discipling you and you can disciple somebody, please. If you have questions, there's plenty of people here that will be more than happy to get involved, more than happy to help you out, more than happy to grow us as a church family, more than happy to help you to be the giants at somebody's shoulders. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for our place in your family and for your word and for your love. Thank you for giving us the ability to serve you in all of the different ways that we're gifted through your spirit. Lord, open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to the ways that we can foster and grow your family. Show us the ways to love and the means to grow. Show us the opportunities to serve and the chances to multiply. Father, grant us courage to reach out to other believers in humility and to reach out to each one of them that may need help. Lord, guide us with your gospel in the ways that we can develop and help us spread that word as you commissioned us to all the nations. Lord, we pray for safety on this holiday weekend for those traveling and for the people who are out and about. We pray your hand. Lord, thank you again for this opportunity. Let it sink into us that your message is personal, but your goal is global. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.